0: All right, well, this is our fourth topic of our evening services. This is the sixth evening service that we've had. It's been a long time since we have done this. Um, but we've kind of been covering the uh, distinctive features of Grace Bible Fellowship, kind of what, what makes us unique, um, what sets us apart as a local church. Uh, you know, we've been asking, what are we all about what what are we all about as a church what are the what are the foundational beliefs that make us who we are and because it 's been so long i 'll just kind of give you that where we 've kind of covered so far uh, we 've looked at three foundational beliefs, some of them we we 've done over two lectures but the the first one was that we have a high view of God, and uh, everything that we want to do really centers on him it 's for him it's it 's to him he is He is the the great object of our worship. It's all really about Him. It's not about us. It's ultimately about Him and pleasing Him and serving Him, honoring Him. Our whole lives are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so as a church, we wanted to have a high view of God. and, And that meant then that we need to hear Him in His Word. And so we talked about Scripture. And specifically, we talked about a sufficient view of Scripture. That Scripture is all that we need for life and godliness that everything that that we need to know to live in a way that pleases god and honors him in this life is found in scripture and that means it's not found anywhere else and so there's there's nothing that that needs to be discovered or no secular philosophies that need to to kind of come in to help us no no business philosophies no psychological uh, analyses of man or whatever uh whatever kinds of things that the world would would tell us will make us effective and fruitful we say no no all we need is what scripture tells us that's what's going to make us effective and fruitful even if the world hates it and so we have a high view of god and if we have a high view of god we got to listen to him in his word and so that means we're going to we're going to have this view of scripture which is really the Scripture's view of Scripture. Scripture has a sufficient view of Scripture. Scripture views itself as inspired by God, inerrant, infallible, clear, and all, all of those things that we looked at. Thirdly then, with this view of God and view of Scripture, we have what we call the a proper view of man. And there's kind of two things we recognize there. First of all, we were made in the image of God, and so man is is valuable, precious um uh, image bearers of God, but at the same time we're also fallen and uh, and that's our fundamental problem is is sin. And so we're trying as a church to deal with people's sin and so we're trying to you know to get them to turn from their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and then once we're saved we're trying to Sanctify them, so that we grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that we continue to to put sin off and to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, as a local church, then we understand who we're dealing with as far as man is, and and we talked all through about the the depravity of man, uh, the the fallenness of man, and how really it's it's by God's power that that the, these people are going to come to Christ. And God's power, again, works through his word as we honor his word. And so that's kind of where we've been so far. The answer to man's problem is found in God through his word. And so our goal, again, is to save people, salvation, and our goal is then sanctification to to make people turn more and more from sin and, and to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in their day-to-day lives. And so we're kind of moving on then from there and, you know, we're at least in, in a setting like this where, you know, for the most part, as far as we know, we're talking to believers and, uh, and so our goal for the believer is sanctification, holiness, made, to be made like Christ. And so let me just ask a, a question then. And, and we can just have multiple things here. There's lots of answers to this one. Start off with an easy one. What, what would be some things that would help a believer grow in their faith? Just, just say something that you think might help a believer to grow in their faith. Discipleship. Prayer. Scripture memorization. Good. Fellowship with other believers. Yeah, good. What else helps us to grow to be like Christ? Church attendance. Good. Good. That's great. Church attendance. Anything else? Trials. Yeah. Through suffering and trials and difficulties, we grow to be like Christ and the, the word. Oh, Brendan, I, yeah. Discipline. Good one. Good. I wasn't supposed to say people's names, but uh, we're going to just ignore that. So, um, good stuff. Bible, service, teaching, discipleship, fellowship, trials, church prayer, the work of the Holy Spirit. We could even put obedience in there. Um, preaching and teaching. Those are the, the things that that help us to grow in our faith. Now, if you could name five things that help a believer grow in their faith and maybe just kind of put them in some kind of order in your mind. It'd be kind of neat to think, what would you put in there? What are the top five of those that we just listed? What would be the top five that, that would help a believer to grow in their faith? And I just, I just want, maybe you could think about that and, and just kind of put that aside for a bit. And let's talk about the society that we live in. We live in a, a very, individualistic society um you know we've got our iphone ipad uh you know the i the, the the sense of a lot of things that we do is what's what's in it for me and that that individualistic attitude has has crept into the church so that pretty much everything is viewed through the lens of the individual everything's about the individual and when we think about joining a church it can be very much like that, right? We're talking about what, what makes our church distinctive. And when we think about the church that, that we might think about joining and being a, a part of, it can very much be like that as well. What's in it for me? Uh, we, we ask things like, how do I like it? Or how will this church benefit me? Will it, will it help me? Do, does it have the programs that I like uh, and and you can kind of hear the i i me me in in that whole thing right i i i me 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 and 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 honestly to some extent, I think that's okay uh, The church that you go to should benefit you right it, it should be a blessing in your life i I tell people probably more and more uh, than than almost ever before that that you want to go to the best possible local church that you can go to because as we're going to see tonight it is a one of the the great means that God has given by which we grow and so we need to go to the the most biblical church possible right because it's going to be through scripture that we grow and so we want our our preaching and teaching to be biblical and and helpful and it, and it should help you but at the same time Church involvement is a two way thing it's not it 's not meant to just be one way uh, it 's meant to be something that we 're involved in. Kevin said one of the the means that we grow is uh, fellowship and uh, and fellowship is that that kind of two way thing where we we serve and input and and are involved in people 's lives but anyways, more and more people are are abandoning the church, even, even professing believers. They're, they're leaving the church. They, they don't think too much about it. And you'll hear quite often, you'll hear people say things like, the church has failed, or it doesn't meet my needs, or, you know, it's not relevant to me personally, or even maybe sometimes online is good enough, or, or maybe even I get, I get more out of online service than I do in, in my own local church. Or even things like, I find God elsewhere. We, we hear more and more people talking like that, kind of leaving the church behind or, or looking disparagingly on the church. So just, just maybe put up your hand. Do you know professing believers? How many know professing believers that don't attend church at all? Okay, quite a, quite a few, I would say more than half of, of you know professing believers who, who don't attend church at all. Or, or what about, well, I think that's, that's fine. Um, it's not surprising that the people have abandoned the church because we're, we're influenced again by our society, the individualistic society that, that kind of filters everything through this idea. How is it going to benefit me? And when we add to that, that, Many Christians don't really understand what the church is and how important she is in God's plan and how important she is in their own spiritual lives. Uh, it's not surprising that many people view the church as though it's not an essential part of their lives. And I think too many people think of the church as kind of like a, a peripheral thing. I could, I could take it or leave it. I could have it or, Or not, you know, if it, if it benefits me, then I'll, I'll go, but otherwise, you know, it's not a big deal. I think people a lot of times think something like, well, salvation, that's essential, right? You gotta, you have to be saved through Christ, but I can be saved and not really go to church and it's not a big deal at all. A lot of people, I think, what, what it comes down to is they think of the church as a man-made idea right that it's a, a man made thing that it's something that we kind of came up with ourselves and and because of that then i can i can take it or leave it it, it it's no big deal if i go if it ha- i'll go if it helps but otherwise it's really no big deal and what and what i want to do or try to do tonight is just kind of show you that it actually is a big deal the church is very very important and and I gotta remember what, what we called this lecture. This lecture is called an, an accurate view of the church. And that's kind of what we want to have. And that's, that's something that's, I would say that I want to be foundational for our church is that we have a, a really robust view of the church itself, what it is, and why we care about it, why we're involved in it. So, it's a big deal. It's central in God's plan. But before we can really talk about how important the church is, I think we need to ask an mo- even more foundational question. And that is, what is the church? And I'm going to throw this on out to you. What would, what would you just say if you just wanted to kind of come up with a definition of the church? Or, or maybe I'll just make it even less scary. Um, what would you say some people might, might think the church is? So instead of just trying to give me like a, a perfect definition of the church, just what would some people maybe define the church as? A building. A building. Great. A building, right? We go to church. You ask Ivan about, you know, where we're going to go to church. It's the, it's this building right here. This is church. And when we were at Living Hope, it was, uh, what did he call it? The, the What? The yellow building or the brown building, or right that was the that was the church um what else the what else would people call the church a social, a social gathering, yeah, some kind of a social gathering, okay, hospital for sinners, yeah, you've heard that as soon as you guys come in here it's like triage you know <laughs> which one you know well we got to deal with that one first, you know I don't know. <laughs> Um, good. Hospital for sinners. Uh, what else? What, maybe, maybe let's try to get towards maybe some more biblical ideas of what the church might be. What would you say? Good. Bride of Christ. Yeah, that's exactly scriptural. We're going to look at that actually later on. Chosen people. Yeah, good, good. So, yeah, what is the church? Is it a, a building for Christian worship? And we use it that way. I use it that way. It's, I think it's okay. Uh, it's not a very biblical definition, but it's, that's fine. We, we're going to church on Sunday. We mean we're going to this building. Um, but is the church a group of believers? What about a Bible study group? Is that the church? What about um, a group of believers having lunch after church? Is that is that the church? You know, in, at Subway there this afternoon, a couple people from church were there. Is that is that church? You know, what what are we talking about? Is it the meeting time on Sunday morning? Well, let's let's kind of dig in, and I'm going to give you um, multiple categories of what the church is. So. And, uh, I, I don't know what I have. Five or six of these. I didn't number them. But the first one is, it's the assembly. And so the, the, starting with the, the word church, the Greek word church is ekklesia. You don't have to know that. But ekklesia is, it's a compound word. It comes from, from two Greek words. One is ek. Ek means out. And kaleo is to call or to identify by name. And that, that word, um, then combined is the churches the called out ones people who have been called out and uh, it was used to to kind of call out the army and they would they would kind of number the army and they would call them forward into their ranks and and so it was it was used then of a a gathering of people that were were called out and set apart and the fact that that this use this word then became used as a as the word to refer to the the gathering of saints, I think it's significant because the the word to call is also the word that we that Scripture uses to talk about believers. Right, we are the called, right? And you know, we, we 1 Peter two nine, we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, and so there's there's this sense of this the we're the the particular called out people that have been called out by god like like Jermaine said that we have we were elected we were chosen people and so we're we're these ones who've been called out of darkness into salvation but the ecclesia was used in greek literature just to speak of any assembled group any any gathering and uh i want to just show you that a, f- a few times let's go to acts chapter 19 and we'll just see this the, the what i guess what i'm going to call the secular use of this word and we only see it used this way throughout the book of acts but acts chapter 19 is one one example of this and we could start at verse 28 it says there when they heard this they were enraged and we're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with the confusion. Is that really what it says, or did I have a, a me- mistake in my notes? Was it the confusion? Wow. The confusion. Filled with the confusion. And they they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd... The disciples would not let him. Now, that word crowd is actually the, the ecclesia. He wanted to go amongst the uh, the gathering of people that were there. If you skip down to verse 32, we see that word again. Now, some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And so there's that word ecclesia. It's just speaking about the assembly, kind of a, a mob gathering in Ephesus. And again in verse 39, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. And so that's the secular usage of the word. But the word took on special significance when Jesus and the apostles used it to speak of the new covenant people of God. So there's this, this gathering of saved people. The new covenant people of God. And that's what I was talking about when I mentioned 1 Peter 2.9. And so why don't we just go... And look at 1 Peter 2.9 as well. We'll kind of be flipping around pretty fast tonight, I think. 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And there's that, that word just called, and, and they were called, out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now, Peter doesn't necessarily use the word ecclesia here, but this is the, this is the speaking about the new covenant, the people of God. And using the kind of Old Testament terms, Peter says you are this, this new people of, of saved people that have been really delivered from darkness and, and brought into the light of the Lord. Now, when we think about the people of God, and we kind of think about through all the generations, there's always been a people of God. There's always been a, a group of people in the world that have been God's people that are saved by Him. But the church is a unique people of God that, that's just for this age. The church is the, the bride and the body of Christ, something that, that was never said about the Old Testament saints. So they were, God's people. They belong to him, but there's a special sense in which we belong to him because we are the bride and the body of Christ. And the church was a new thing that Jesus founded through his apostles. You know, when you think about the people of God in the Old Testament, there was, there's people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and um, Jacob was named Israel and and the, the nation of Israel in a special sense was God's people. And in those days of the Old Testament, if you were saved, you had to join yourself to Israel and become an Israelite. But it was prophesied all along throughout history that, that the, the, the nation of Israel would one day be a blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles, but Israel failed in their task, and they failed to obey God, and they were never really the blessing that God had called them to be. And when Jesus came and presented Himself to Israel as their Messiah, of course they rejected Him. The leaders crucified Him, and Israel's rejection of the Messiah kind of in a how do I say this in a in a in a temporal sense. You see, this is it was always part of God's eternal plan. But when Israel rejected the Messiah, it kind of opened up a, a new thing in God's plan that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, and and that new thing. That's revealed is that there's gonna be a, a time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And in that time, Christ is gonna build his church. Something, again, that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament time. And so, the church, even though it was always part of God's eternal plan, it's a, it's a new thing that's just been revealed, uh, since Jesus was on this earth. And so, the first thing is the, the church is the New Testament or the new covenant people of God. Now, the next thing w- that we want to look at is that the church is the people that are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And to, to see that, I want you to go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is the first time in, in the chronology of the Bible that we hear about a church, Matthew 16, and it's a future thing here, it's, it's going to be something that will happen that hasn't even started even at, at Matthew 16, but Matthew 16, I'll, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, when Jesus here tells Peter that he is Peter, he's, he's, he's renaming, he's giving Simon a new name. And now his name is Peter, which in Greek is Petros. And, and Petros means rock. And so there's a little bit of a play on words in verse 18. I tell you, you are rocky, we could say, and on this rock, another word for rock, Petra. So you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. And the context of this whole thing is is the question, who am I? Who is Jesus Christ? And Peter identifies Jesus correctly as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, You're blessed, Peter, that because you didn't figure that out on your own, the Father has revealed this to you, not man. And then Jesus says, You are Peter. Again, that means stone. You are Peter. And upon this rock, another Greek word for stone, I will build my church. Now there's a, a huge interpretive issue on this verse. Um, what is the rock? That Christ will build His church on, and it could be that uh, the, this is the Catholic view. It could be that Peter's the rock. That's the way the Catholics understand it. Peter's the rock, and and there's going to be this uh, chain of apostolic succession, popes that that kind of run the world. But I, I think that's a that's a horrible view for for one reason at least is because the, there's different words for rock here, right? So there's the the rock at, which is Peter, and then there's the rock. That's a different word that Christ is going to build his church on. Another view is that the apostles and their testimony is going to be what the church is built upon. But rock is singular, not plural. And so there's a a single rock that this church is going to be built upon. Third view is that this refers to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And I I think that's a good view. and, And godly men take that view. Uh, where I lean right now, and, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to Matthew 16 so I can really study this in depth. But Matthew, um, what, the, the thing that I understand this to be right now is that the, the church is gonna be built on Christ Himself. And Christ Himself is the rock upon which the church is gonna be built. Jesus is the, is the cornerstone. And we see that throughout Scripture. And upon the cornerstone Himself, the church will be built. But here's what I really want you to to see here in this section is look at verse 18 again. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so whatever view you take on this, Jesus is the ultimate builder of the church. It's his idea and he's the architect and and nothing is going to stop his purpose. No one can resist his work. Now, I want to go back. Let's go to 1 Peter again, and I want to show you just how Peter later on in his life speaks about the rock. So 1 Peter chapter 2 again, a little bit earlier than where we were before. 1 Peter 2. We'll start reading here in verse 4. Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Now, I want you to, as we go through here, notice all the words for stone here. Now, this word stone is a different Greek word for a stone. And uh, Peter says in verse 4 again, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Now, all of those stones are the same Greek word for stone. But then in the next part there, a cornerstone, and that's a a different word for stone that that means a cornerstone. It's the, the kind of the first stone. Chosen and precious, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, in verse 8 there, that last stone there, a stone of stumbling, and there it is, a rock of offense. That's the same word for, for rock that Jesus used in Matthew 16, 18, that when he said that on this rock I will build my church. Now, this, of course, is speaking about Jesus Christ, that the hymn in verse 4, as you come to him comes from the the Lord of verse 3 so it's the the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus then is a living stone and we also are living stones we're being built up into a spiritual house and the same word rock there petra is used from Matthew 16:18 in verse 8 Christ is the rock he is the cornerstone he is the the chief stone and he is going to build the church and it's going to be kind of built based on on who he is and on his righteousness. So the Lord Jesus Christ, again, he's building his church. And in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down and the disciples then begin to fulfill the Great Commission, this is when the church is birthed. And this will continue until Christ returns to meet us in the air, until we are kind of delivered uh, before the tribulation. Now during the tribulation period there's going to be believers on the earth but those believers are never called the church not in not in the book of Revelation they're never called the church and they're mostly israelites as well. And so the church is a a special people of God that starts in Acts chapter 2 and continues until the tribulation. In Luke 21:24 Jesus calls that uh, the the time of the Gentiles and it's kind of the the time when God is Working in the Gentiles' lives, for the most part, there's a Jew here or there that got saved. We kind of saw that even, even in our text this morning, right? There's going to be many from east and west that come, but the sons of the kingdom, the Israelites, are going to be cast out. Now, not all Israelites, right? The disciples of Jesus were, for the most part, Israelites. And so there's going to be some that are saved, but Jesus calls this time the time of the Gentiles. And so to summarize then, Jesus is going to build his church. He's, going to, he's the foundation of it. And it's built as his disciples make disciples of all the nations as they fulfill the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus promises that he is going to be with us and that he's going to build the church through us. And so that's kind of the, the next thing. The, it's the, the church is the assembly. The church is the new covenant people of God. The church is uh, the thing which Christ is going to build. It's built upon Christ. And then the next thing that we could say about the church is that it's the, the purified bride of Christ. And, and to see that, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. So let's go Ephesians chapter 5. And in verses 22 to 33, Paul speaks about marriage, and he says it's a a picture of something even greater than marriage. It's a, a picture of Christ and the church. And so if we look at verse 32 to start, it says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, the mystery that's profound that he's talking about is, is the relationship between a husband and his wife, but he says it refers to Christ and the church, and so let's start reading at verse 22. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything So let's kind of look into this and I'm going to kind of get you guys involved here again a little bit. Um, let's look into this and let's look at, look at verse 23. According to verse 23, what is, what is Christ's relationship to the church? What is Christ's relationship to the church? What does it say there? Great. He is the head. Yeah, the head, which is, yeah, which is the leader. Um, Christ is the leader. What else does it say there that he is to the church? And it's savior. Yeah, great. So he's the, he's the head and he's the savior. That's the relationship between Christ and the church. Now in verse 25, what did Christ do to be the church's savior? Verse 25, what did he, what did he do? Good. Died on the cross. Gave himself for her. That's great. He died on the cross. He gave himself for her. And in the same verse, it tells us why he did that. What what motivated Christ to give himself up for the church? Good. He loved the church. Yeah. So he loved the church. And he did this so that, in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, that is sanctify the church having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her uh, a beautiful church, something that that's, that's pleasing to him. Now we were sinful and we were lost, but he does this amazing work to to make this church and to present this church then to himself really an excellent church. And so Christ's relationship to the church is that of a bride to a husband. Now, you know, you just think about that as, as, as an illustration. That's the closest human relationship. Bride, uh, husband, bride, right? Husband and wife. And so there's this, this great intimacy that christ has with the church he loves the church he he cares deeply about the church the church is valuable to him and he's working to sanctify us to make us holy and blameless now that language in verse 26 of washing of water with the word that that's kind of salvation kind of language and so it's through salvation that we become Christ's bride and, and part of his body. Now, in there's kind of two things going on in these verses. In, in the first part, Paul talks about husbands and wives and looks at that relationship as, as the relationship between Christ and the church. But then starting in verse 28, he kind of changes the metaphor and, and it, it still fits the marriage, but now he speaks about how um, husband and wife are one flesh. And and how Christ and the church are one body, and so we are we are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we are His body. And just like a man nourishes his own body, no, one, he says in verse twenty nine, nobody ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just in that same way, Christ also does the church, verse thirty, because we are members of his body. And so we are, we are part of the body of Christ. Um, now, I was gonna, t- I, and I am gonna take you, let's go back a little bit in Ephesians. And I, I know I've taught through this section a lot, so I'm, I'm gonna try to do this really quick. But in Ephesians chapter two, Paul talks about this, this salvation that, that brought us into the church. And, and what he, what he says there in Ephesians 2 and really in verse 4 is that, sorry, verse 5, when we were dead in our trespasses, he, that is God, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so, The church then is this group of people that have been made alive with Christ and they've been, they've been joined to Christ so that they're part of his body and they are saved by grace. And so the, the church again is this group of people that are alive with Christ. And of course, in chapter two, verse one, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were conformed to the world and controlled by the devil, the prince of the power of the air in verse two. Now, we were captive to the desires or the passions of the flesh in verse 3. We were, we were dead in our trespasses. We were children of wrath. But then God has, in his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ and saved us by his grace. And because of that salvation, we are, in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in him, so paul 's kind of just reminding the Ephesians of what happened in their salvation, and uh, they were dead now they 've been made alive with christ and and that 's kind of usually where we stop when we think about salvation, but Paul goes even further into this in chapter two and and really verses eleven till the end of the chapter and i 'm just going to start reading. In verse thirteen here. So, so Ephesians two thirteen. So so you've been made alive with Christ, but now what happens is you are joined to Christ and you become part of his body. And so look at verse thirteen. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so um, Christ himself, he has become... Our peace. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, that they were they were separated, they were divided, there was this hostility between them because of the, the keeping of the law that, that really separated the Jew from the Gentile. And he now, Christ, has become our peace and he has made the two of us, Jew and Gentile, one, making peace. And he created in himself... What, what Paul calls there in verse 15, one new man. And, and then he, Christ reconciles us both to God in one body through the cross. Now note that, that we're, we are together, one new man, and it's, it's in one body. And that one body in verse 16 is, is the one new man from verse 15, and, and this body is the church. And Paul had already kind of spoken about that. If you just look back at Ephesians 1 22, it says that he put all things under his feet and gave him, speaking about Christ, Christ is the him there, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And so again, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of that body. And we have become part of that body when we've been reconciled to God in our salvation. So we are We are then, as we even saw already in chapter 5, we are the body of Christ. We are the, the one new man that's been created in Christ. And then in verse 19, he continues and says, well, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. There's that same idea of cornerstone there. And in Christ, in the cornerstone, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. And so the church is God's house. It's built on Christ, the cornerstone. It's a it's a building and it's growing together as a place where God dwells and lives. And all of these things show us again that the church is pretty significant. But God is building and fitting it together. And so it's important to God, it's important to Christ. Um I kind of want to skip this section. Let me just see. Well um, Let's go to chapter three, though. I should, I should just kind of quickly show you this as well. I, I don't know if you would remember, but remember we, we looked at Ephesians three, one to verse 11, um, or, sorry, we looked at Ephesians three, one to 13 one time, uh, together in a message. And, um, in that passage, we, Paul's talking about the church again. And he tells us there that in verse, 10, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And remember the idea of that manifold wisdom of God is that God's, God has designed the church so that his glory would be shown to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is the, to the heavenly beings and so what we, what we saw there, we saw really two things in that passage when we looked there. One, one was this, what we just said, that the church is the vehicle through which God is glorified. God has designed salvation and the church so that through them, his glory is shown in the heavenly places. And so the angels look at the church and they, they think, wow, look at how wise and amazing God is. The angels look at the church and, and they glorify God for his wisdom and his plan of salvation. And the other thing that we saw there is that for Paul, at least in verse 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And what, what we saw there is that for Paul, the, the whole plan that God had for his church was worth suffering for. It was worth, being imprisoned for. He was imprisoned and he said it, that was, it was worth it because God was working through this church. And then we could kind of summarize that in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, where Paul says, "...now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations." And so again, the, the church there is the, the, the vehicle through which God has designed himself to be glorified. You know, we might say, if we were going to say the same thing as Paul, we, we might leave out in verse 21 in the church. I think sometimes we don't think, we think God's going to be glorified through Christ, but we forget that God has designed and planned that he would be glorified through the church, and one of the one of the main reasons that God is glorified through the church is because it's through the church that God has designed His salvation to go forth. Right? It's it's through us that the gospel goes forth that saves people, and then that makes those people to turn from hostile to God to um, being reconciled with God. And now being reconciled with God, it's, it's through the church that those same people grow to be made like Christ. And the more we're like Christ, the more we glorify and honor God. And so the, 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 the church again is the, this whole system that God has designed to show how great and awesome and powerful He is in saving sinners. And Paul kind of expands on that in Ephesians 4 where he talks about how each one of us, each each member, and I'm I'm looking specifically at Ephesians 4.7, he says that grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he talks in verse 11 about how Christ has given different people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so there's this kind of chain that happens here. There's there's shepherds and teachers and they equip the saints. And the saints then do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry happens for the building up of the body of Christ. And that continues until we're all utterly like Christ... Verse 14, that we'd be no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, which when each part is working properly, Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, and so the idea that's happening here is that that there's this whole series of, of of working where where we minister to one another in the church, and as we minister to one another and speak the truth and love to one another, we're we're equipping one another and and helping, and Christ is working through us so that we grow to be like the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and as that happens. We, we grow and we glorify God. As each of us do our individual part, we grow together into Christ's likeness And so the church then, again, it's, it's absolutely central to God's plan in this age. And we, again, we join this church through salvation. So, so that kind of gives us a a, a hope, an idea of why the church is so important. Now, everything that we've said so far, pretty much everything that we've said is, is, has been about what's, what they call the universal church. The universal church is the, the church that Christ is building. He never says that he's going to build churches, right? It's always a singular church. He is the head, not of churches, but of the church, the universal church. The universal church includes all true believers on earth or even those in heaven right now. Uh, all true believers from from this church age. And he is building this singular church, but these saved people of Christ then are also gathered in local assemblies. And most often in the New Testament when it speaks about... Th- Church, when the word church is used, it's it's actually in the plural, and it it speaks about churches or or there's these these kind of gatherings in different places. And so, and I could almost weary you with all the scriptures I have here, but I'll just read some of these. This is, you don't have to turn to these at all. But Acts eight one, um, it says on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. Acts nine thirty one. The, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. And so there's the, the church in kind of all of these areas. We see it in Judea, Galilee, Samaria. Acts 11.26, um, uh, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch and for an entire year they met with the church. And so there's the church in Antioch and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That was at Acts 11.26. Acts fourteen twenty-three, uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord. Acts fifteen forty-one, traveling through Syria and uh Cilicia strengthening the churches. Uh, Acts sixteen five, the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and so and then all the letters of the New Testament to the church of God which is at Corinth, first Corinthians one two. Uh, first, second Corinthians one, one, the church of God, which is at Corinth. Galatians, uh, one, 2, verse two, to the churches of Galatia. And so all of these, um, local churches, this, this universal church is gathered in local assemblies that, that kind of commit together to serve the Lord together. So there's, there's one universal church that Christ is building, and it's expressed in many individual local congregations and so there's the the universal church and then there's the local church the local church is a a group of believers that gather together regularly to accomplish specific divinely ordained purposes and we can we could kind of go through scripture and i, I i'm not going to do that tonight but the the local church is is where specific individual believers gather together and they they meet together they assemble together to do what the lord told us to do and and some of those things that we see from god's word is that they're to receive instruction from god's word. And so 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13 and 2 Timothy 4:2, 2. 2 Timothy 4:2 tells Timothy to preach the word. I think 1 Timothy 4:13 um Let's go, let's just go see what that says here. First Timothy 413. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. And so you see, Timothy is to come, he's, he's to pastor the church in, in Ephesus and one of the things that Paul tells him to do is to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. And that's why our local church, every Sunday morning, we always read a passage of Scripture because of 1 Timothy 4.16. Because of 2 Timothy 4.2, that's why we always preach the Word. Because there's a, a command in Scripture that when the local church gathers, there's to be the preaching of the Word of God. Another thing that we're to, to gather to do is to, to serve and edify one another through the use of our spiritual gifts. And there's lots of passages that speak about that. We're to uh, proclaim the gospel to those who are lost according to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Uh, we're to, to baptize believers were to um, participate in the Lord's supper were to local churches are to have shepherds and elders and pastors that that care for the flock in their midst and so all of these things are commanded in scripture for local churches to do and they gather together to to do all of those things that scripture tells us to do as a church and so um Just to kind of, just to recap here a little bit, let's just see what we've seen so far. What is the church? Well, it's the assembly, but it's the assembly of the new covenant people of God. It's the assembly of those who are truly born again. The church is the people that, that are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that he would build his church and we are built then upon him. Uh, the church is the purified bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ and we are also the, the body of Christ. We are people that have been made alive with Christ and, and then joined to his body so that we are both saved and now joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the vehicle through which God is glorified and we're also the saved people of Christ then gathered into local individual assemblies. And so that's kind of just a a little little bit about what the church is all about and kind of the beginning of a, an accurate view of the church. And 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 the church, the doctrine of the church, what the church is is really a, a fundamental belief about of the Grace Bible Fellowship has. And that's why we are in and it, maybe it's not unusual in in town here, but in in the in the in the country of Canada there's very few churches that have said that no we are going to stay open no matter what the government tells us to do and and this doctrine of the church is one of the the key reasons why we believe that it's not just because everyone in town uh wants to stay open and and doesn't want to wear a mask for us f- you know for for me personally but even for us as a local church the reason that we do all that we do is because we recognize the church for what it is that this is the the vehicle through which God is glorified in the world this is the the chief end for which we live and we all play a part in this great thing that God is doing and so we recognize the church as worth living for we're suffering for worth participating in and uh and that and that really drives everything that we do we have a high view of the church and so it's it's important to us and the reason that we have a high view of the church is because the Lord Jesus Christ has a high view of the church. And so let me just close. Let me read Acts uh, chapter 20, a, a favorite passage. Paul kind of for the last time talking to the, the Ephesian elders Looking where I want to start reading. I'm, let's just start in verse 28. Paul tells them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And that's, that's really it right there that, that we are to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the church, that you have saved us, that you have called us out of darkness into your light, that you have put us into your body, that we are your bride, that we are the, the chosen vessel that you would be glorified in this world through, that we are the chosen vessel that, that your salvation flows through and that your sanctification uh, happens through, And we thank you that we are privileged to be a part of it, Father. May we have a a robust ecclesiology, a a robust view of the church that that strengthens us to live for one another and to serve one another in this life to glorify you. And so uh, we just thank you for Grace Bible Fellowship, Father. We pray that that you would protect us and that, that we would all care for the church of God here in this local assembly that You obtained with Your own blood. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.